coming up. He's only been in charge for two weeks and we've already been plunged into a constitutional crisis. Boris Johnson may be secretly plotting an election, but he's also apparently wondering how he could make himself leader for life. We'll look at how Britain's new government promised to restore power to Parliament, only to decide to ignore it when the going got tough. Hello, Paul Osborne here. Thank you for downloading this latest podcast. We begin, though, by going back in time, because occasionally it's worth delving into the archive and pulling out a few choice quotes from politicians and the people that surround them. In April of 2016, two months before the EU referendum, Michael Gove said that the day after we vote to leave, we hold all the cards. Boris Johnson told the House of Commons the following year there was no plan for no deal because we're going to get a great deal. And this week, Boris Johnson's chief advisor, Leave Mastermind Dominic Cummings, told reporters that the Prime Minister believes politicians don't get to choose which votes they respect. Unless, of course, that politician is Boris Johnson, and the vote is one of no confidence in him. For decades... In fact, for centuries, to be honest, a vote of no confidence has been the parliamentary nuclear option. There is no escaping the judgment of MPs. And if the vote goes against you, there is no alternative. You have to resign and call an election. But like so many of the rules that underpin our political system, it's just a convention. It all rests on the idea that fundamentally politicians will be willing to play by the rules to respect the power of parliament and to obey its instructions. Our current Prime Minister is surrounded by a court largely made up of single-issue obsessives, and the last few days seem to have confirmed they will stop at nothing, nothing at all, in pursuit of their long-held dream. Let's bring in Robert Meakin at this stage. Robert, we've had no shortage in the last three years of moments where you would just sit there and think, is this really happening? But... You now have a government that's only been in for two weeks that appears to believe that it is under no compulsion to respect the basic conventions of British politics. You have a prime minister who is willing, it seems, to just ignore a no-confidence vote and plough on regardless, triggering a full-on constitutional crisis. You know, such is his desperation to stick to that promise to deliver Brexit by the end of October. Now, I know we've spoken before about being in unprecedented territory, but we really are this time. Yeah, we, we're, we've reached that extraordinary period where we are essentially going to have a government saying we are representing the people against Parliament. That's the, that's the argument, however debatable, however fraudulent you may feel it is. That's the way this seems to be going, that Boris is going to say he is, he is the leader of the nation against the narrow interests of Parliament. And this is obviously a battle that's going to get increasingly complex and poisonous just by the nature of British politics. It'd be very foolish to pretend to know how this will really play out. Right now, we're in a situation 
where we have a government that just might not be workable on any real real level, but at the same time will still be fighting tooth and nail due to the you know, the team, as you say, that's behind it presently, fighting tooth and nail to somehow get over the line in some form on October the 31st, regardless. It's an extraordinary, bizarre, frightening sequence of events ahead. You know, for a variety of reasons that we will doubtless get into in the next half hour or so, a no-confidence vote looks almost inevitable at this stage, and here's how they're supposed to work. If you lose a no-confidence vote, it triggers a 14-day period when you can try to form a government that could win another confidence vote. If that doesn't happen, then you have an election. Now, these rules are relatively new. They date back to the Fixed-Term Parliament Act back in 2010. The rules say that if you have to have an election as a consequence of a no-confidence vote. There has to be at least 25 working days between the dissolution of Parliament and polling day. But what it doesn't do is set a specific timetable. That is still in the gift of a Prime Minister who, in this scenario, would already have lost the confidence of Parliament. So, in theory, yes, Boris Johnson could lose a no-confidence vote in September and delay the election until, say, November, potentially meaning we would leave the European Union without a deal during the election campaign when Parliament wasn't sitting, and there would be nothing at all that MPs would be able to do about it. And you say, well, why hasn't that been written into the rules? Why hasn't there been some sort of law that says there has to be an election after this many days? Well, it's because until now we had never imagined that a serving Prime Minister would just choose to ignore a vote of no confidence. It was something that until two weeks ago had appeared inconceivable. If you try and get into the, the heads, if possible, of Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings and co., I think they they also do feel that, yeah, what, once they have done the deed in some form on October the 31st, they, you know, they fancy their chances that brand Boris can beat Brand Corbyn, essentially, as, we, as we've said before. There's this religious zeal attached to getting a deal or no deal done on, by October the 31st. And then there's a real determination to destroy Corbyn. And, and a lot of people, not just in that closed circle, but a lot of people in the Tory ranks generally do believe that Boris is the man who could pull it off. But it's still a hell of a gamble. A, if you're seriously considering having an election you know, a few weeks after a no-deal Brexit, then you'd better pray that none of the chaos that people have talked about comes to pass because you would be seeking a mandate from the voters who you were depriving of food or subjecting to panic buying in the supermarket. So you'd better hope that all of those warnings of chaos aren't true. And it would be a weird election campaign that would be dominated by a Brexit that would happen in the middle of it without Parliament or the public having any kind of say in it, the Prime Minister having basically cheated the system to get what he wanted and then said, can I have another five years? And also, I mean, while Labour have been far, far from impressive during recent months over the, the whole Brexit issue, let's never forget, you know, Corbyn is a, is a pretty potent campaigner on the election trail. It would it would be foolish, I think, at this stage, how, however gutless has appeared recently, to underestimate him when it comes into elect, general election campaign territory. That's when he comes into his own. Jeremy Corbyn would certainly be in his own amid... You know, if there, if, let's just imagine there's a no-deal Brexit and we're in the middle of that process. 
any any sign of crisis, Corbyn and his team will be on it, hollering with the placard saying this is disaster, this is a disgrace. That very much plays, you could argue, into Labour's hands because that the current Labour hierarchy, that's where they're in their comfort zone when they are protesting against the injustices of a Tory government. They haven't actually presented any genuine ideas of any real solidity themselves, but that's where they are, that's where they are potentially potent. So it is a risky strategy. Uh, and this then takes you into this odd and to be honest, constitutionally quite dangerous world where people start going to court. You know, people have talked about legal challenges. Sir John Major, for heaven's sake, has talked about considering a legal challenge to stop this from happening. Now, look, the courts are going to be very reluctant to intervene in the timing and structure of when there should be a general election. But equally, the Supreme Court has already intervened in Brexit in the past, saying Parliament had to have a vote to activate Article 50, for example. It then takes you into a world, and people have already suggested this, where people want the Queen to intervene. Now, the explanation for this is the Prime Minister is not voted in by the public. The Prime Minister is not appointed by the House of Commons. The Prime Minister is appointed by the Queen. If the Prime Minister has lost the confidence of the House of Commons, and particularly if there is another potential candidate to be Prime Minister who is perhaps more likely to get the confidence of the Commons, and we'll come to that a little later, then you absolutely could get people saying, well, the Queen needs to sack Boris Johnson and call for Person X as a caretaker Prime Minister. And this takes you into, you're into Charles I territory, aren't you? You completely are. We have to accept however frustrating, however self-indulgent, however reckless and irresponsible at times. I think Parliament's behaviour as an overall body has been at times during this Brexit crisis. It is for Parliament to somehow get us through this. I th- that, I, th- I, that, really, that, that is the most realistic, most responsible, frankly, most moral way of resolving this. That, that, is, that is the system we have lived by for all these centuries. As you say, when it was last challenged, it ended with a king losing his head, for goodness sake. Parliament also has to step up to the plate to accept this responsibility, to get beyond the appalling party tribal short-termism that we've seen that has you know, suffered, you know, suffocated this process again and again and again. But I still firmly believe it has to be for Parliament, whether it's Boris Johnson leading a government or someone else, someone has to step up to the plate and somehow secure some sort of post-Brexit arrangement for us. It is worth pointing out that Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, Dominic Cummings were all leading figures in the Leave campaign whose stated aim was to restore the sovereignty of Parliament. And now the architects of that process are defending the idea that they might ignore the will of Parliament, indeed frustrate its ability to even express its will remaining in office when they ought by rights to have called an election and stood down. It is absolutely breathtaking. Whatever happens in the next couple of months, be in no doubt, a general election is on the way. If the Tory defeat in Brecon and Radnorshire, which has cut the government's working majority to just one, didn't convince you of this, then this week's splurging of cash on the NHS should have done the trick. The surest sign that an election is coming is when politicians start tucking their ties into their shirts and roaming the wards, desperate to convince us how much they love the NHS. And while it's debatable whether this week's announcement actually involved any new money, it is another sign that Boris Johnson knows an election is coming. He, Robert, would like that election to be next spring, once he'd 
delivered Brexit once he got it out of the way. But the timing may not be up to him, quite aside from confidence votes and everything else. He's got a majority of one. He can't get his legislation through Parliament, frankly. He's got this massive revolt brewing over Brexit. It's basically impossible at this stage to stage a general election before Brexit. Those rules we talked about a few minutes ago, the 25 working days and everything, would mean that if there was a no-confidence vote, say, at the beginning of September when MPs come back, you know, you'd have to cancel the party conferences, you'd have to have your fortnight of trying to patch together a coalition, you'd get to the middle of September, then you'd have this minimum five-week campaign, so you'd be looking at a general election at the earliest on the 24th of October, one week before the Brexit deadline, which seems almost impossible. The next possible date is Thursday, the 31st of October, which, hey, is Brexit Day. So you return to this running theme, sort of breathtaking elements of this fiasco and assuming that if we ended up in an election, whenever it was, the government refused to postpone the Brexit deadline to allow for it, there's a very strong likelihood that if that election comes in the autumn, it will be after the Brexit deadline. So there is every possibility that an election dominated by and caused by political division over Brexit would be fought after Brexit had happened. Yeah, it's an incredibly surreal state of affairs. And then we could also be in a position uh, where, where we, we, we could easily have the third administration in place since the Brexit process began. If you think Theresa May's administration will have fallen, if Boris Johnson's administration comes a cropper, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be into the third one in the space of three and a bit years, which just shows how volatile, chaotic and hazardous this whole process has been. But how Boris, say, if it is post-October the 31st, can, can sell the dream when everyone is terrified for their, for their house prices, for, the, for feeding their children, for you know, the transport across the country due, due to the, the, the Brexit uncertainty. That's a very difficult sell, even for as good a campaigner as Boris Johnson. And you are in this bizarre fantasy world where people are quite seriously talking about who could be your candidate to be this sort of stand-in interim prime minister. Now, the idea of this would be that if that no-confidence vote succeeded, and now, of course, if Boris Johnson actually consented to to abide by that ruling, and it seems unlikely now that he would, that MPs from all sides would somehow magically coalesce around a figure who would form a temporary government purely to delay Brexit in order to allow for a general election. Now, there are a few problems with this. How many Conservatives would actually sign up for that, actually voting to kick their own party out of office? Who is this interim Prime Minister going to be? You know, we've had suggestions like Hilary Benn, Dominic Grieve, and Caroline Lucas's name has emerged this week as someone, the one Green Party MP in Parliament, as someone who conceivably could end up accidentally becoming Prime Minister. The third problem... Labour says it won't countenance any national unity government that isn't dominated by Labour and led by Jeremy Corbyn, which basically means certainly the Liberal Democrats wouldn't go for it. I can't imagine any Conservative MPs would go for it either. And if Labour aren't on side, then unless there's going to be a massive rebellion by pro-Remain Labour MPs, then the idea is dead in the water. But it raises another idea that Labour would be willing to sit on its hands 
and allow a no-deal Brexit to be imposed by a Conservative government that had lost a vote of confidence. I mean, that runs counter to everything they have said about Brexit in the past. It sums up the, the infuriating performance of Corbyn and that Labour in a circle in, in, in recent months, if such a scenario you know, were to unfold. And unfortunately, it feels like a, a, a very real one. You know, at a time when you say, if, if Boris Johnson goes up in flames, at a time of national crisis, if Parliament, and Parliament does need to do this, if Parliament is to get some sort of Brexit deal through, somehow they have to come to some sort of arrangement. Somehow they have to come to some sort of compromise, which, of course, the parties have so dismally failed to do so far. The optimist in me would like to think there'd be enough honourable people in Parliament who would overrule this nonsense and say, well, all right, Jeremy and co, we'll, you, you wait for the day when we can start you know, fighting Tories on a normal playing field again. For now, we've got bigger fish to fry here. We're going to go away and form a, 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 a national government of coalition just to get us over this line. And then you can go back and play your games afterwards. Whether there's enough, whether the numbers really to do to do that, I don't know. But the very idea that no, this shouldn't be about uh, politicians coming together and working out a new solution. No, it should be about putting Jeremy Corbyn into ten, ten Downing Street is desperately cynical stuff. What exactly have the Labour Party been up to in the last few weeks? I mean, I'm conscious that we spend a lot of time beating up on the Conservatives and um, and probably less time. Uh, in the last few weeks than we have in the past talking about the Labour Party but they just don't seem to be doing anything very much on Brexit beyond sort of standing on the sidelines tutting and shaking their heads a bit and then and then this week what have they done we say Labour have said well we're not interested in a government of national unity unless it's basically a Labour government that you guys can join if you want to we're not interested in stepping aside in seats where we aren't going to win in favour of another candidate who would stop Brexit. We're not going to we're not going to do that. And then the shadow chancellor uh, heads up to Scotland and says we wouldn't stand in the way of a second independence referendum in Scotland, even though the Scottish Labour Party policy is to oppose a second referendum in Scotland. Now, it's no coincidence that John McDonnell said this within 24 hours of Nicola Sturgeon saying that while she was no great fan of Jeremy Corbyn, she could envisage circumstances in which her party would work with Labour to stop the Conservatives getting in after the next election. And that's what this is all about. Again, I, I, I know we bang on about, you know, the, the Corbyn and co being just, just so blinkered in their party political tribal antics that they always they're constantly just obsessed with bringing down the conservatives rather than looking at the bigger picture of the brexit crisis presently and i think again this demonstrates that Where, where's mcdonald's priority now at this time of utter chaos when people are terrified up and down the country about a no deal no deal brexit on october the 31st he's turning up in the scottish capital talking about some sort of pact with the snp purely purely to bring down the Conservatives and to get Jeremy Corbyn into power. Now, any other time, any other time in our recent political history, that would be fine. You know, I know it'd be a very, di- I know it'd be very divisive inside the party. You and I would have strong views on it on a, on a show like this. But that's just the way pol- yeah, political skullduggery works. But it again shows the level of these people at the top of the Labour Party presently, that that is a priority for the man at a time where we're just weeks away from facing a no-deal Brexit. I, it, again, to me, it, 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 I, I can't say it's staggering because I've got so used to this short-term 
yeah, polit- politicking of this of this particular uh, Corbyn administration. But uh, hugely, I think, depressing and, and hugely irresponsible. These fights are for another day and they can come. They can beat the living daylights out of each other, as far as I'm concerned, by next year. But let's just focus on what's immediately ahead of us. I know we've said in the past that Labour seem more interested in how Labour can get into power than they are in softening Brexit or changing Brexit or even stopping Brexit, depending on what direction the party eventually goes in when it jumps off the fence, assuming it ever does. I mean, this does prove that the focus is purely that election, even if that election comes after Brexit. That's the priority for the Labour Party. Overtures to the SNP about possible coalitions or arrangements to stop the Tories getting in to prop up perhaps a minority Labour government instead. But all of that would happen after Brexit. And it's as if the Labour Party, in its absence really of talking about Brexit in the last two weeks, as this earthquake has sort of shaken Whitehall. Where has the Labour Party been? They seem to have just given up on talking about Brexit now. Their obsession is purely, how can we get into power after Brexit? Boris Johnson has been awfully busy these last two weeks, not just whittling away at democracy and hacking away at the basic principles that underpin the entire British political system. It is only two weeks since he became Prime Minister and we were already talking about his potential forced removal by the Queen the week after he lost a seat in a by-election, his majority dropped to one. It's not been a stellar start so far for the new Prime Minister. But you have to admire one thing about his first two weeks in office, the way in which he's managed to convince a surprisingly large group of people that the current stalemate on Brexit is the fault of the European Union and specifically the Irish Republic. Because to an outsider, you know, the kind of person who dabbles in facts and stuff like that, it would appear that the British government was kind of to blame when it said, we won't even consider talking to Brussels unless you agree to scrap the backstop, which is the thing that Brussels has repeatedly said that it absolutely will not do. And then Michael Gove says, oh, I'm deeply saddened that our friends in the European Union have concluded that there is no point in talking to us. Meanwhile, Irish government ministers get dragged onto television to be interrogated with interviewers saying, yes, but when are you going to stop banging on about the border and peace being threatened and all this nonsense and just give us what we want? I mean, it's almost as if it was the Irish who voted to kickstart this whole process, that it was the EU that voted to kick Britain out. It's it's almost as if Johnny Foreigner was engaged in some pernicious plot against the UK all along. I was under the ridiculous impression that, that we had voted to do this to ourselves and dragged the Irish in against their will. Yes, uh, 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 Boris is, is, is very able and very effective when it comes to occupying these various parallel universes when it suits them. Trust, it's obviously got him very, very far in, in terms of his political uh, career. I, you have to say this with Boris, it's certainly not boring. It was never going to be boring. And you have to admire the man's front on a certain level that he can come forward and come out with this stuff. For all the novelty value of, of Boris now going into the door at 10 Downing Street, you just have to take a few breaths, a few steps back and think, my goodness, amid all this bluster, the stakes are incredibly high, incredibly serious. I want Boris to pull this off in terms of getting a deal 
on the 31st of October, like a lot of people. You know, it's it, not, not on a party political basis or any particular affection for Boris, but purely in, a, in the increasingly vain hope that there'd be some sort of pragmatic, responsible way for us to leave the European Union. That is what I and a lot of people up and down the country are hoping for. We've, we've got to hope that this bluster actually ends in a result. <laughs> As of now, it's hard to imagine that uh, uh, developing that way. Finally this week, let's take a brief trip into the crazy world of Dominic Raab, the man who somewhat improbably has become the UK's foreign secretary and this week met Donald Trump. Turns out he has already learned so much from the tiny-handed toddler across the pond. Raab insisted a few days ago that he had repeatedly warned during interviews uh, in the referendum campaign three years ago that there was a chance the UK could leave without a deal. Now, strangely, both the BBC and Channel 4 were unable to find a single example of him actually saying that back in 2016. Uh, Now, it's possible that Dominic Raab may, in his own head, conduct interviews in which he emerges as a seasoned foreign policy genius, or he may have just dreamt the whole thing up. Or, Or, of course, it's possible that he may just be making this up as he goes along. Who's to say? But it does demonstrate the way we are going. The Foreign Secretary just invents a series of quotes in interviews that no one can find any evidence that he'd ever actually said. The government refuses to talk to the European Union, but insists that Johnny Foreigner is to blame. I don't know from which politician they got the idea of just making stuff up and brazening it out. It'd be fair, I think, to politely say that Mr Raab uh, looks like a a practitioner of the dark political arts. He does remind me of something of of one of those lesser characters in, in the House of Cards, He's also, of course, played a blinder from a a personal career point of view. I think the way he played the leadership campaign, I mean, look what he's got out of it as as, as foreign secretary, first secretary of state, Boris's right hand man, essentially. I'm sure he's very, very pleased with himself presently that he he has now such a significant uh, role. And yet we are in a territory where people simply can make up quotes deny quotes that they've clearly said before and as you say you've, you've got the master exponent of that across the water who if you believe the bookies is likely to be president of the united states again uh, by next november well in a further sign of our shrinking world this week it was announced the uk will no longer recognize the interrail pass for decades it has been the way young people have explored europe but lord why would we need to do that why explore rome when you can visit romford With that miserable thought in our minds, we'll leave it there for now. Don't forget, you can stay in touch on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at PartyGamesPod. There is a full archive of all the past episodes at PartyGamesPodcast.com, which is where you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google or Spotify. As ever, we end by begging for ratings and reviews because apparently it actually does make a difference. Until next time, thank you to Robert. Thanks to you for listening. And for now, goodbye. Goodbye.